or beginning uh, time this summer in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, if you haven't already done so, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. And this summer we're going to be spending some time in different uh, places in the Sermon on the Mount, working our way through it. And we think it'll be really uh, beneficial and uh, an enjoyable uh, time in God's Word. I should mention, some of you may not know this, but there's a group of folks who get together every Sunday. They're not here. They meet at uh, Waverly, Waverly Plaza. Is that? It's over on Royal Avenue. Not Royal Avenue. It's a retirement home, Waverly. Hey, I wanted to, us to say good morning because what they do is every week they take the DVD from last week's uh, service and they watch it together in a room there at Waverly Plaza and they do uh, church there because most of those folks, uh, they're folks from our church, they're not able to get out. So we want to say good morning to the folks at Waverly Plaza. It's our other campus. We're a multi-campus, multi-site <laughs> church. And uh, anyway, we really appreciate uh, the men and women who are spending their time with us uh, this morning over at Waverly Plaza. Matthew chapter 5 was often called the Sermon uh, on the Mount. I don't know if you've traveled to other countries or other places, even in our country, you'll find out very quickly that in different places there are different cultures. In different places there are different cultures. Uh, so we traveled down to Nicaragua one time with a mission trip uh, team, my wife and I, uh, Stan has been down there, and uh, you discover that in Nicaragua they function a little bit different in regard to time, as in there is none. They don't believe in clocks. Uh, so say, for example, we, one, uh, the gal we were with gave us this story that there was a wedding and they received an invitation, and the wedding invitation said to arrive at 7 they arrived at 9 and were considered early. And so it's a different culture. And we say, well, how can you get anything done? Nobody knows when to be anywhere. And they say, how can you live your life more concerned about your clock than the people around you? It's a different culture. You travel to different countries and different places, you'll have a different uh, ways of thinking, different ways of doing, different modes of transportation, different ways of eating, different kinds of activities for recreation. And uh, what it is, is the culture often is a reflection of the history, uh, what people have been through together. Uh, it's a reflection of the kinds of places that they live. Uh, it's a reflection of whether or not they have uh, had to be involved in the military or whether or not throughout their history they've been primarily at peace. And you can see some cultures are very scientific and economical, and other cultures are primarily agricultural. And um, so there's lots of different cultures. So this morning in Matthew chapter 5, we have a description of the culture of Christ's kingdom. And that's the title of the message today is Kingdom Culture. And we're going to look at these few verses in Matthew chapter 5 and try to have an understanding of what we learn about the culture of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus' kingdom does, in fact, have a culture. And in many ways, it's described in these verses, which we often call the Beatitudes. There's a number of things that are listed here, and it says, Blessed are. You see that phrase repeated there in verse 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. Blessed are. And that word blessing is a little bit difficult for us to understand. We say, what does it mean to be blessed? Is that just simply what you say after someone sneezes? And what does it mean? Why are we blessing them after they sneeze? 
where I work, which happens to be here, I'll give you one blessing. If you're going to have a sneezing fit, I'm not going to bless you 75 times. Give you one, and it just sort of covers for the day. You know, that's the... What does it mean? Blessing. What, what this word means, it can mean many different things. It has a sense of happiness. But really what it means is someone who was fortunate. Someone who has had something happen to them, we say, man, good for them. Man, good for... Boy, that, is, that must be great. You ever said that about somebody who gets a great job or... Somebody gets over a, a long illness or uh, somebody uh, receives an unexpected income and you say, man, good for them. Now, blessed are them. That's, that's what, how it's being used in these, these passages here. And he's saying, good for the people who are like this. Man, congratulations to these folks. So let's look at what it means to have and live in the culture of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom culture. Look with me at verses 1 through 6. The first thing I want us to note in these first four values or true things of the kingdom of uh, Jesus Christ is this. The culture of the kingdom is this. Are you ready? It's a culture of losers. I'm being serious. If you take notes, write down. It's a culture of losers. Look at the four things that are mentioned in verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness. These are not winners. These are not people taking the victory lap. The culture of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is a culture of losers. Contrast that with the values of the world. The things that we celebrate in the world are those who are rich, those who are happy, those who are strong, and those who are full. These are what we celebrate, aren't they? The culture of the kingdom says, well, good for those who are poor in spirit. Why would you be poor in spirit? Well, have you ever lost a game? Have you ever lost to your competitor? Have you ever lost at work where the other guy got the promotion? Or have you ever lost where the other parents had the A student? And he's saying, blessed are you. You've lost. Let's look at each one in turn. Blessed are those. Fortunate are those who are poor in spirit. That is... Fortunate are those who are aware of their spiritual bankruptcy. So how fortunate and lucky are those who understand that in the, left to their own devices, they are completely spiritually bankrupt. How fortunate are those who recognize that they need God and they need God through Jesus Christ. Jesus expressed it this way, the rich man came to him and said, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, be perfect. And the guy said, nailed it. And Jesus said, well, just one more thing. Sell everything and give it to the poor. And the guy said, I can't do that. And Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to come to the kingdom. And the reason he is saying that, it is you are fortunate when you understand your bankruptcy because you are more sensitive to how much you need the kingdom of Christ. He's not saying it's impossible. In fact, he reminded his disciples, all things are possible through God. But how fortunate are those who know how much they need the kingdom? What does he say they gain? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In their poverty, they find Christ and then find the kingdom of God. What does it mean for those who mourn? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are those who are aware of sin's damaging effects to this world. Blessed are those, excuse me, who look at the world around them and see what sin has done to this world and go, oh, come soon, Jesus. This place is a train wreck. 100% of the people on planet Earth die. The fatality rate of this rock is unbelievable. I mean, it's just unbelievable. You would think we would have fixed it by now. We congratulate ourselves that we've managed to stretch our life expectancy to 80 to 90 years. That's not very long. The young people think that seems like a long time. The older we get, it's 80 years. Boy, that's 90 years. He says it is a gift when we uh, look at the world around us and say, this is not the way it was supposed to be. God, you need to fix this. We see this in Jesus when his good friend Lazarus died. Do you remember that? Lazarus passed away, and Jesus made his way to where Lazarus was buried, knowing that God had called him to raise Lazarus from the dead in order to provide to the people around him evidence that he was the Messiah. And when Jesus arrived at the tomb of Lazarus, knowing full well in about 20 minutes Lazarus would be up and moving, what did Jesus do? Jesus wept because he understood that death is not supposed to be a part of the equation. And we see in Christ this culture of mourning saying, this is not what it's supposed to be like. We don't just need this fixed. We need a new system. And those in the kingdom who want to understand the values and culture of the kingdom of Christ are those who look around and they mourn. And what is the benefit to those who mourn? He says this, they will be comforted. They will experience comfort. Look at verse 5 with me. Blessed, fortunate are the meek. Fortunate are the meek. There's two ideas to this word meek. What does it mean? It means, number one, someone who has power and chooses not to use it, or somebody who has no power and, well, they don't choose not to use it. They have no power. This is meek. It is a people who have, have, might have some influence and power and say, that does me, does me no good. The only thing that brings me any good is the work of Christ, and my influence in this world is it's meaningless. Someone who is meek is also someone who has no power, no influence, and is unconcerned about it. We see this in Christ himself as he stands before Pilate. Pilate says to him, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus says, whatever you say. Why didn't Jesus turn Pilate into a pile of dust? Raise him from the dead and do it again. Just to spite him. He said, going to happen again, Pilate. This time it's going to be painful. Why didn't he do it? He could do that. Pilate said, I have authority to save your life or take it from you. If you didn't know the Bible was a comedy, reading that line should tell you there's humor in the Bible. Pilate, standing before the creator of the universe, is trying to explain to him who's in charge. And what does Jesus say to Pilate? Well, the authority you have was given to you to do what is supposed to be done. Who had the power there? Jesus. 
and he shows us what his kingdom looks like. Meek. I don't need it. What's the big deal? Having power, he didn't want to use it because he understood the will of God. Uh, having no power, he was unconcerned because he knew God's purposes were going to be done. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In this culture, how do you inherit the earth? You conquer it. The way to gain real estate is to conquer it. And what the Bible is telling us is the kingdom culture is upside down and backwards. The way to inherit the earth is to have no power, or if you have power, to say, that's useless. Does me no good. Finally, in this section anyway, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is this, in the kingdom of Christ, the, the kingdom of Jesus, the culture of losers, these are people who desire God's things and understand they don't have it. If you're hungry, how much food do you have? Well, you can't have your cake and eat it too, I understand. But what this means, if you're hungry and thirsting for righteousness, that means you don't have righteousness. And he says, in the kingdom of Christ, there is a desire for God's things and a de desire for God's things to be done, but we have an awareness that we need something done to us for that to happen. It is not a satisfaction in my own righteousness. It's a dissatisfaction in my righteousness and a hunger that God might do something in me that I would be righteous. We're aware of how much we lack. Look with, look with me and think with me about Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, it said he had not eaten or drank any water. And the Bible says this. He was hungry. You would expect that. This is why I do all of my fasting between meals. <laughs> fasting is, makes me hungry. And devil comes to him and says, listen, I know the Bible. Why don't you take these rocks and turn them into bread? He said, well, what's the big deal? You don't understand. This was the bread at Roadhouse with the honey butter. <laughs> That's what he was offering. And just, man doesn't live by bread alone. You're trying to offer me something from the culture of a kingdom that is so different from my kingdom. My kingdom culture says I am satisfied by God alone. I hunger and thirst for the things of God. In this world, that's, that's not smart. In this kingdom, in this place where we live now, you're supposed to make sure everything's handled and you're never going to run out and have more than enough. And Jesus says, I am primarily concerned for the things of God and the values of the culture of the kingdom of God is an understanding we're not home yet. And we have the righteousness of Christ in us, but we desire it to be done even more in us. And we hunger and thirst for righteousness. What do we get when we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Look at it, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. We will never run out.
we need to understand these values from a little different perspective. So again, I have a silly illustration. I think all of my illustrations are silly, but might probably because I'm silly. But that would I don't this is what it isn't. As it turns out, if you go to a place like Disneyland and you've suffered some sort of an injury, say, for example, and you find yourself in a wheelchair. As it turns out, there's a line for folks who are in wheelchairs. That line is shorter. There's fewer folks in wheelchairs, so that line's shorter. And so you might be thinking, as you look at these things, is you're saying, well, blessed are the poor and the mourners and the meekers, and I don't know if that's a word it is now. Kind of like, blessed are the people in the wheelchair at Disneyland because they get a shorter line. I mean, nobody really wants to be in a wheelchair, but if you've got to go to Disneyland, at least you get a shorter line. We need to understand something. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying these things are horrible things, but you know what? And someday it'll pay off. What he is saying is these things are the good things. You might say it this way. It might be a better way of thinking about it, but as it turns out, in school anyway, the smart, gifted, academic kids sometimes aren't the cool kids. What are, I don't know what we call them. Um, nerds. Right, these kids, uh, and in school it's hard, right? What do we call them now? Bill Gates. <laughs> this is what he's saying. He's saying, no, these are, the values of the kingdom are good. Because those who look at this world and understand it's broken will go to another kingdom where it's not broken. Now, if this kingdom in your mind is not broken and it's pretty good, that kingdom for you that he's bringing, you will not like it. Because it's different than this one. And he's saying, if here we think we can have everything we could possibly desire here, you're not going to like that kingdom because the things there are not the things here. So he's not telling us these things are bad things, but someday they will pay off. He's saying, no, these are good things in us. To be those who are poor in spirit and who are mourning and who are meek and powerless and hunger and thirst for righteousness, not for the things of this kingdom. Poor in spirit, not self-righteous. Mourners, because we hope in God, not in the things of this world. Meek, because we trust in the power of God, not our own power. Before we move on to verses 7 through 10, just one way to think about this. In our culture, just, and this is just one way of thinking about it. There's many ways you might apply this in your own life, but here's one way. Uh, our culture, our our the way we think about things, we get pretty excited about uh, celebrities. You know what a celebrity is, somebody who's really, really famous. So we get really excited about this, and we think, well, we're Christians. We don't get excited about celebrities. Of course you do. Of course you do. You've got your favorite sports star, and what do you tell you? Oh, he's fantastic. Best player ever, and he's a Christian. What does that have to do with anything? Are we, I mean, I'm glad he's going to heaven. I'm, I'm glad anybody who's a Christian is going to heaven, Right? But what is Mr. A-plus football player going to heaven do for the kingdom of God? Whatever God decides to do, but him being a football player, I can tell you, has very little to do with anything. And we think, well, some famous person will get saved and will get all stoked on it. And then 10 minutes later, they're not anymore. That's also how it goes. But we also stake our wagon on Christians that we are, are well-known. We hear them on the radio, we see them on the TV, and... Uh, and we say, well, this is great. We, we need to have these famous people up front testifying about the greatness of Christ. 
That is not the kingdom's culture. The kingdom culture is small people doing small things in small places. The most powerful and important people in the kingdom of God, when we get to glory, you will never have heard of them. And we think that, there's, that all these people, these people you know, you see on TV, you read about in magazines, that they're the big time. No. You will never have heard of it. You'll see the big mansion on the hill. I'm assuming there's a mansion on the hill in heaven. And the guy there, you'll be, who's that guy? Never heard of him. Because this is the culture of the kingdom of God, and this is a great comfort to us who live in a small place doing small things. Our faithfulness in our homes, our faithfulness in our community, our faithfulness in our small country church is great in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is a culture of, you don't want to say it, do you? It's a culture of losers. Because this world is a culture of winners, and we're not trying to win in the world. We're trying to be a part of a kingdom that is upside down and backwards. Let's look at verses 7 through 10. We're going to make sure we get done before the tacos are done. That's also a culture of the kingdom as we like to eat. All right. I understand. Hunger and thirst for righteousness and tacos. Kingdom culture, verses 7 through 10. Verse, uh, first part of this, we said kingdom is a culture of losers. Second, it's not getting any better. Sorry, it's a culture of pushovers. First thing we learn, the kingdom is a culture of losers. Meek, hunger and thirsty, now we find out we're a culture of pushovers. Look at what it says. Have mercy, be pure of heart, be those who have peace, be persecuted. The world is very different. Instead of having mercy, we need to get revenge or make sure every wrong against us is accounted for. In this world, we don't live according to purity. We live according to whatever our body desires, whatever our heart desires. In fact, in our culture... To pursue anything uh, and, and to go against what I desire would be considered sinful. In, in the kingdom culture, we're to pursue peace. And in the culture of this world, we pursue peace through power and dominance and conquering. In the kingdom culture, we understand that we are going to experience difficulty and even persecution. In the culture of this world, we are to pursue comfort at all costs. I'm not even going to take time to explain that. I don't even feel the need to defend it. Look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. How fortunate are those who are merciful, those who do not hold wrongs against others. How blessed and fortunate are those who let things go when they're sinned against because they know how much they have been forgiven. Jesus tells a parable of the foolish, unforgiving servant. He was forgiven a billion dollars by his master. And then he swiftly leaves his master and throws his fellow servant into prison because he owes him $10. And when word gets back to the master, the foolish and unforgiving servant is thrown in jail himself. How fortunate are those who show mercy and forgiveness to others. Why? Because they have a good understanding of how much they have been forgiven from. Whatever has been done to you, and some things are done are severe and should not be taken lightly, but we have been forgiven more for what we have done to Christ. He says, how fortunate are those 
who are merciful because they will receive mercy. Look at verse 8. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. That is this. How fortunate are those who, by God's grace, their motivations and actions are driven by God's motivations and actions. That is this. How great it is for those who understand how bad sin is. And they want their heart moved by the things that move God. I remember the story in the Bible about four friends who had a friend who couldn't walk. And they drag him to Jesus, who is giving a lecture in a house. And it's so crowded that I can't get in. So they haul their friend up onto the roof. And then they dig through the roof, because the roof is made of dirt, and the dirt is laid out between beams. They're digging through the roof to lower their friend down to Jesus. I've always wondered how long that would take. How do you make sure the roof doesn't fall out from under you? I don't know. These are all things they... Maybe one of the guys was an engineer. Digging, digging, sweating. The whole thing is going on. People downstairs, you know what they're... Knock it off! They don't care. They lower their friend down and drop him in front of Jesus. And Jesus has the gall to just forgive his sins. Hey, Jesus, we really appreciate... That's wonderful. Yeah, okay, little religious dust on this, but I don't know if you noticed Jesus. He didn't walk in. And this isn't Disneyland. There wasn't a shorter line for the guy who couldn't walk. And Jesus has the gall to just merely forgive his sins. Jesus then made him walk. Why does Jesus say he healed his legs? Remember what he says? So that you will know I have the power to forgive sins. I'm going to heal him. The only reason he made that guy walk was so that people would understand Jesus could do something much, much, much better. He could forgive sins. And this is what Jesus is saying about those who are pure in heart. He's saying, of all the things that might happen to me, may it be I would be one who is more righteous today than I was yesterday. Live more according to God's um, motives than my own today than I do yesterday. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. How do you make peace according to the kingdom of God? You have two people who are arguing in the kingdom of God. How do they have peace? I figured you wouldn't know the answer. That's a hard one. Two people in the kingdom of God arguing. Do you know what they should be arguing over? Who gets to let the other person have their way first? That's how you have peace in the kingdom of God. How do you have peace in the kingdom of God is when two people in the kingdom of God are arguing over that the other one is getting to not have their way. No, I want you to have your way. Because that's what Jesus said. No, 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 you're not taking that from me. You get your way. If this was a true value in the kingdom of God, how many church splits would there be? That number is zero. But we decide whatever our pet issue is, is the most important issue. And Jesus said, that's not, that's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom is a kingdom of peace, not because the other people finally figured out I'm right. Thank the Lord they finally had wisdom to see my brilliance. The kingdom is a kingdom of peace because all of us are diving to the bottom, figuring out how to make sure other people get their way first. You say, well, that seems like you're might get taken advantage of. 
Right, that's what I said. It's a culture of being a pushover. Jesus did it. He was getting nailed to the cross, and he prayed this prayer. It's not a complicated prayer, but it's not a prayer that you pray very often. I'm certain I don't. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Has anybody done anything worse on planet Earth than affixing Christ to the cross with a giant nail? And what was his prayer? Don't hold them against him, God. There is not anything in the body of Christ that we cannot pray. You know what, Lord? They are so wrong. They're wrong about how wrong they are. You can figure it out, God. Their way is fine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Let me put it this way. Getting pushed over. They're getting their way. It's not right. It's wrong. And God looks at you and says, Man, who do you remind me of? You remind me of Jesus. See what he he says? You look just like my son in his kingdom. Because he's not worried about whether or not he gets his way here. What, are you going to live here 80 years and you got your way? See, go into a better kingdom. It's not the end of the world if I don't get my way this week. Easier said than done. We'll get to it. Hold on. Lastly, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How fortunate it is for those who get to suffer for Jesus and who are not seeking to maintain and hold on to their comfort. And Jesus said it this way, whoever would follow me will need to take up his cross and follow me. Kingdom culture, culture of losers, culture of pushovers. One thing to think about before we conclude with one last observation. A lot of Christians, a lot of us ought to be involved in what, I don't know if it's still called civics. Is civics a word? You know, you ought to vote. You ought to be involved. You ought to do your thing. I just want to remind you something from Matthew 5. This is not our kingdom. We're not home yet. You're going to fight for your rights here? Like that's the end of the world, not having your rights here. It doesn't make any sense if I'm reading Matthew 5 right. Now, am I going to willingly, necessarily, just voluntarily give up my... Not if I don't need to. Is somebody going to take my right away? Congratulations. I mean, all over the world, Christians are living without their rights. Are they in any way prevented from knowing Christ? This is not our kingdom. This is not our home. I hear some of us, I should say broadly, as Christians, we talk about politics as though the world is ending. The world ended a long time ago when we ate from a tree. The work of a Christian in this world is not the work of gaining and maintaining power. The work of Christians in this world is not gaining and maintaining influence. The work of Christians in this world is not gaining and maintaining political influence. The work of Christians in this world as members of the kingdom of God is humble, spirit-empowered gospel work. Jesus says, I give you all authority in heaven on earth. Make sure a king, a Christians is in the White House. 
Now it's getting personal. What does he say? I give you all authority under heaven and earth. Go and make disciples. It's humble work. It's spirit-empowered work. It's gospel work. It is the most fruitful, rewarding, eternal work that a person could be involved in. And to really get, sink our teeth into it, we have to understand the culture of the kingdom. To understand how much we need Christ in our own life. So finally, verse 11 and 12, let's read them. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things about you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So last thing, culture of the kingdom. Just a reminder, culture of losers. It's not going to be a t-shirt anytime soon. Culture of pushovers, and finally, it's the culture of Jesus. He says this, on my account. Jesus is saying this, I want you to be like this, as I've noted in each one of these attitudes, because I am like this. That's what Jesus is saying. This isn't just being a loser. This isn't just being a pushover. Jesus is saying here, I want you to be like me, and I'm the king of this kingdom. I want you to be like these things in this world, because that's how I am in this world. You are fortunate. You are blessed when you act like these things in this place, and then people treat you the way that they treated me. They treat you the way that this world treated the king of this kingdom. How did they treat him? They mistreated him. He said, but then, the great thing is, rejoice because your reward will be great in heaven. We get a better kingdom. Think about Jesus' kingdom. How much death is there in Jesus' kingdom? You realize in heaven we will never, ever go to another funeral. Ever. There will no longer be a teenager killed in a tragic car accident. There will be no longer be someone taken with a family. There will no longer be chemotherapy. Anybody like that kingdom? Any takers? And Jesus said, so listen, don't sell into this kingdom. This kingdom has nothing to offer. That kingdom, there is no death. In that kingdom, there is no sin. You ever done anything you felt guilty about? In the last five minutes? Two minutes? Anybody ever done anything to you that just, I just even me just saying that, you just go, oh, I hope they get hit by a bus. I don't want him to die. I just want him to suffer in the hospital for like eight weeks and then die. I mean, I've never thought that way. <laughs> There's none of that in the kingdom. You realize in heaven, you will never have a situation where you think about somebody there and you go, oh man, I don't like that guy. That will never, that, that, that's not a part of that kingdom. This world does not need to be improved. This world needs to be replaced. And that's what the king is doing. His kingdom will come and this world will be replaced. And we act as though we want to renovate this kingdom. Peter said it this way, you are strangers and aliens. Do you ever feel like you are the odd man out in this world? Excellent. 
Paul says it this way, your citizenship is in heaven. Not dual citizenship. Your citizenship is in a different kingdom. We're here on a work visa or something. I don't even know. Another way to think about this. If you want your best life now, you need to tear Matthew 5 out your Bible. You need to tear it out. This is not offering you your best life now. Matthew 5 is offering your best life then. In that kingdom. Look at verse 12. Rejoice, for your reward is great in heaven. Do you believe that? If you think heaven will be lame, then, you don't, then you're not going to be able to abandon the things of this world. But if you believe what he's saying you to us, he's saying you can abandon everything our primary, we're concerned about in this place because we have a reward that far outweighs anything we could gain here. And so seek that kingdom. A couple of questions and we're going to close. When you think about the relationships you have right now in your family, in your church, in your work, what are the ways that you can see those relationships defined by the values of the kingdom? How can we be peacemakers by giving up our way? How can we be meek instead of using our power and influence setting back? How can we let the values of the kingdom and the culture of Christ inform our relationships today? What would our marriages look like if we approached our marriages with the culture of the kingdom? Another question I might ask is this. Where in your life and in your relationships in the church or other spheres of influence are you trying to win when you need to be okay with losing? Where you say, you know what, I'm done with that fight. That's silly. Got a better kingdom coming. Where in your life are you trying to have power and to have your way where in fact you need to let others have their way? Culture of the kingdom. It's a culture of losers because we know his kingdom's going to win. It's a culture of being a pushover because one day his kingdom will have victory.